Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. noticed that um, if you were to ask somebody walking by you, hey, how's it going? Sometimes we don't even ask that question anymore. We're just like, hi, we don't want to know. Or, but if you actually do say, hey, how's it going? You get this, it's really busy right now. And we've all been actually really, really guilty probably of saying that sometimes. Or hey, or hey, how's it going? Well, this week I had this going on and this going on and it's just been really tough. And that's often what a lot of the answers are that we give or that we answer. Because we live in Western civilization. And we're really busy, right? So everybody is always busy. But there sometimes seems to be this heaviness that comes over. And so I heard a talk once on stress, and um, it used this little quiz to tell you how stressed out you are. And so um, you have to promise me that if I ask you to look at something that you won't sit there for the rest of the day calculating it, because I do believe that God has something to say to you, and it doesn't really matter how stressed you are, because there'll be an end result in the message, okay? But if you look at your sheet, and you look at one of the sides, <coughs> it says the Holmes and Ray He or Raha or something stress scale. So I googled it to see if I could find it and it was the first thing that came up when it said stress test. And so um, in the website it says people use the word stress to describe a wide variety of situations from your cell phone ringing while you're talking on another phone. Anybody feel stress? When that happens, there's something in me that it's like, oh, I have two phones. Ah, I don't, even, I don't even want to be on one. What am I going to do with this other phone? It, they say that is a form of stress, so it actually makes me happy. Um, then there's feelings associated with intense work overload or the death of a loved one. Um, in 1967, um, psychiatrist Thomas Holmes and Richard Raha decided to study on um, stress. And so they took 5,000 people and they gave them um, different things that they might face and they gave different like levels of what that would cause for your body. And what they were trying to conclude is if you become stressed, that it can cause illness and it could cause a whole bunch of different things. And so, um, for your own entertainment at lunch, not now, right? Um, you can go through them, and each one um, has a number or a point system beside it. So there's death of spouse. If you've had a, a spouse die, then you would check that off, and you would give yourself 100 points. Um, divorce, marital separation, jail term, death of a close family member, personal injury or illness, marriage. If you were fired at work or married, um, even marital reconciliation is stressful, apparently. Um, Retirement, that's stressful. Change in health of family member. Pregnancy, gain a new family member. We all know that tiredness does do that to you when screaming babies keep you up all night, right? For all of the moms who have new babies. Um, business readjustment, change in financial state, death of a close friend, change to, and you know what? It goes on and on and on. And what you're supposed to do is tally up how stressed you are. And then don't worry, once you find this out, it says, do not allow this to cause you more stress. <laughs> okay? 
then it says, what you can do about this. I love this, it's awesome. If you find that you are at a moderate or high level of risk, then an obvious first thing to do would be to try to avoid future life crisis. <laughs> okay, do not get in a life crisis. All right, and then it says, stress can cause severe health problems and in extreme cases can cause death. We're staying positive here though. You should take the advice of a suitably qualified health professional if you have any concerns over stress-related illnesses or if stress is causing you significant or persistent unhappiness. And so, we are talking about the fruits of the spirit and I'm wondering which fruit of the spirit you think we're talking about. You got it, joy. There seems to be a significant amount of correlation and connection between stress and joy. And it seems to be that as soon as stress comes on the scene, the first thing out the door is joy. But it is the one thing that you can't seem to get rid of and you really don't seem to actually have any control over whether you have stress or prevent stress because it just finds you. Do you feel like you're a magnet sometimes and like things happen, you know, I'm not the only one I'm sure and I see people smiling and so those who are not smiling, you hold it in very well, so good for you. <laughs> just fake it till you make it baby, that's what I say to myself all the time. Um, so, I thought it would be good to first define what joy is in Webster's Dictionary. It's a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. Um, and I thought it would be good to define the opposite. So the opposite of joy is sadness, depression, melancholy, seriousness, sorrow, unhappiness, or discouragement. But I wasn't really happy with, with the definition of joy because if you went by joy, or by their definition, a feeling of great pleasure or happiness, I don't believe that a momentary high, or even a seasonal high, because there can be things, you know, times when we get a new job, and there's a temporary high that comes with that. That's happiness, right? That is not joy. I believe that in, the, in what Paul was trying to say in the Bible, when he talks about the fruits of the Spirit, he's talking about something that's a little bit more deep than that. So I kind of researched online to find a better definition. And John Piper, who is a, a brilliant scholar, he came up with this definition. Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the world and in the world, or in the word and in the world. Is that not a better description? Now, some of you um, might still not be satisfied in that, but he unpacks it a little bit, and I'm just going to unpack it briefly for you, because I think where some of you might be getting hung up on it is um, his first statement that says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul. I love what he says. Christian joy is a good feeling. By that, he says, I mean it's not an idea, it's not a conviction, it's not a choice or a decision, it's a feeling or an emotion. And I know that there's thousands of books on you can choose joy today, right? And you know what, there have been times in my life where I have said, I choose joy, I choose joy. But I wake up in the morning and I feel heavy and I say, I choose joy today. And there's something that is actually not really like honest, like this, this is awesome. Like, anybody feel that? Like, click, turn on the switch, I'm joyful, I, I just feel awesome. Doesn't actually work that way. Because Piper says, 
One of the marks of the difference between an idea and an emotion or feeling is that you don't have immediate control over your feelings or your emotions. You can't snap your fingers and decide to feel something. So let's take this for example, okay? You're camping, close your eyes. Just picture this would be. You're camping, actually there's not even a tent, you're under the stars, and something rustles in the middle of the night and you open your eyes and you see a bear. And you look at the bear and you say, it's big, it's hairy, has teeth. Hmm, it's drooling, I think it's hungry. Hmm, I think that I should be fearful right now. Hmm, should I be fearful or not? Hmm, I think I should be fearful right now. Does anybody have that process? No, no, it, you would wake up and you would open your eyes and you'd go, ah! right? That is called an emotion. And if I were to look at my son, who is eight, actually that's not even a good, just because he'd probably be like, yeah, I'll take it on. Um, let's use my daughter, for example, who is, he just turned six. And if I looked at her, sweetie, and I said, oh, don't be afraid, she'd look at me and say, you're crazy. There's a bear that is drooling and is big and hairy and it's going to eat me now. And therefore, I am not going to listen to you, mommy, because my body is telling me something different. So that is what a feeling is. And the interesting thing about the Bible is the Bible is full of commands. Rejoice in the Lord always. And angels come. Do not be afraid. It's, it's uh, be grateful always. Do not grumble. It's full of commands to have an emotion that is not natural. Right? And therefore... There's got to be something that's got to help us, aid us to have an emotion that is not natural to us. And that leads us to the second part of the definition. Um, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit. Whew. Thank you, Jesus, that I don't have to muster up joy every single morning when I wake up. Because there is hope that if I get close to you, that you are going to aid me and you are going to produce in me something that is not very comfortable for me and that is contrary to what I'm actually feeling. And so the key is to get close to the Holy Ghost. The third thing is, what does it say? Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty in Christ in the word and in the world. Um, Philippians 3 verse 1 says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. But how do you rejoice in the Lord if you don't know anything about him? Good question, isn't it? How do you rejoice in the Lord if you're not seeing things in the Lord that actually cause a joy to rise up in your heart? It's tough. Some people have been disappointed. Some people have just this little seed of doubt that's in there. Like, God, I don't know if there's a God. I don't see, because I don't see the effects of him right now in my life. I don't know there's doubt. There's nothing that's causing me to have joy, to rise up in you. And I know I'm, leave it to me to always share stories about myself and those things that nobody else will talk about, that white elephant in the room, but I have been there. I was like, hmm, God, where are you right now? But there's got to be something about God that causes something to have joy rise up in you. And so this is going somewhere. Um, 
But the Holy Spirit's job is to open your eyes so that you can see who God is in the word and in the world around you. Emma just turned six. She just had a birthday party. This is one of these birthday parties that kept growing and growing and growing. You know, we sent out invitations to school, and um, a whole bunch of her little friends decided, well, some of her friends decided that they weren't invited, but we lost the invitation. So I didn't have the heart to tell them that they weren't invited, so I just invited them too. And so, honestly, my house is full of like 10 little, 10 kids, and it was a little overwhelming. And she's getting all of these presents, and she had wanted um, a My Life girl from Walmart, one of the ones that are kind of this big and you can change yourself. And the first thing that she said to me was she ran up to me, she said, Mommy, I can make its eyes open and shut. Look. And when she laid it down, its eyes shut. And when she opened or lifted it up, its eyes opened up. And in the same way, I thought to myself, isn't that cool? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. You'll have a situation where you just see nothing good. You don't see anything, and if you invite the Holy Spirit into that situation, all of a sudden he causes your eyes to open, and he causes you to see things that you didn't see before. Um, I had a pretty terrible week this week. Actually, it's been kind of two bad weeks. Last week I had a massive sinus infection, and I made it through Sunday, and then it kind of turned from sinus infection into like golf balls in my throat. You know that feeling, right? Awesome. And so I made it through till Wednesday, and I thought after, at Wednesday, okay, I think it's time to go to the doctors. I think something might be wrong with me. And so the kids, Chad came home from work so I could go to the doctors, and he comes, I come back, and I'm like, well, the good news is that I don't have strep, but the bad news is, is that I don't have strep, and they can't give me anything to make me get better, and I'm just going to have to ride this out. So he leaves. And I'm feeling wretched. And the kids wanted to go swimming, so I plunk myself down in the living room. and Or not in the living room, that would be bad. They could have drowned. Um, I plunk myself down in a lawn chair in the backyard. And, uh, and I just say a really simple prayer. God, you have got to give me strength to get through this day. Because I feel horrible. And I open my eyes, and I promise you... I've never seen my backyard look the way I did that day. And the sound of my kids' laughter and fighting and play fighting and soaking me and all of that never sounded and looked more beautiful than that day. Because it was as if I said, God, I need some desperate help here. I need your strength. And I opened my eyes and God caused my eyes to see something that if I had not invited God into that situation, I would not have enjoyed. Because how many of us would have wished that we were in bed or wished or or man what kind of father is Chad anyways going to work like seriously I'm sick I'm sitting here I'm stuck with the kids like pff, meetings what is that all about and he actually comes home all the time for me so I'm not saying that but these are the places where our minds could have went we could have just been lying in the backyard dreaming of our pillow being somewhere other than where we were at that moment but if we can embrace the moment and say, God, where are you in the moment? That is when God can move in the moment and open your eyes to see beauty in him. So these are commands. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. But I want to focus on two, two texts 
that describe a mandate for joy, that we need to, we have to, we are commanded to be joyful in the settings where it almost looks impossible to have it. So one of them is do not do all things, every little thing that you do when your kids are fighting, when you get fired, when you hear bad news about maybe somebody dying close to you, when you stub your toe or you rip your toenail off. That's a hard one, eh? That's bad. I'm thinking about all these little things all the time, at all times, no matter what is going on, how big or how little. Do all things without grumbling and questioning that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So what this is saying is, you're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You're in a fallen world. Things aren't going to look perfect. So in an absolutely impossible situation, you at all the points in time need to not be grumbling and need to not be questioning or doubting where God is, but need to be in joy. The second one is Philippians 4.10, verse 13. I rejoice, actually this is, this is one of the answers to how to do it. I rejoice greatly that you have revived your concern for me and that you were concerned, but you had no opportunity. Not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So Paul is saying that whether you're hungry or whether you have plenty, if everything's fantastic or everything is falling apart, he has learned the key to finding contentment in everything. And... I'm going to propose to you that there's two things that I think that if we could fully, really get, not just like here and forget the next day, but be at the center of every reasoning that we have in our minds, if we can get these two things, then it gets us a lot closer to finding joy in all circumstances. And the first one is understanding the sovereignty of God. And the second one is understanding the sweetness of God. So what does it mean to be sovereign? Sovereign means possessing supreme or ultimate power. The synonym is supreme, absolute, unlimited, unrestricted, boundless, ultimate, total, unconditional, full. Basically, God has got you. God has got your situation. God is 100% completely in control, and absolutely nothing takes him by surprise, even though it may take you by surprise. Let's start with Philippians 1 verse 6. I am sure, not I am hopeful, I am, I've heard, or I'm hoping, but I am absolutely sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That no matter what you see right now, that if God started something in you, he is finishing it. And we don't see the end result, but it's coming. Then there's Philippians 1 verse 12. Um, I'm kind of talking a lot of Philippians. If you want a good book study that's encouraging and it's really short, read through Philippians. So here's Paul 
he's in Philippi and he's preaching up a storm. He is saving people. He's doing tons of good works for God. And they throw him in jail. And then he says this. I want you to know. So he writes a letter to the people that he's preaching to. From jail. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak against, or boldly speak God's message without fear. So basically he says that, don't look at me being in jail. Don't look at the circumstances. God has sovereignly worked on behalf of, and, and he's worked over and above what everybody's tried to do against me. And, and God's, God's got it. He's, he's saving people through this. Don't worry. Something good is going to come out of it. So let's stop here for a moment on how you think we might react to this. So we might be saying, hey, I'm a good Christian. I was actually doing what you asked me to do. Actually, I think I was even going beyond what you asked me to do. And I was doing it with all of my might. And I don't see you, God. Why am I sitting in a jail? Where are you? Is there God? God? Where are you? And how quickly our faith is diminished. Um, Chris Volaton from Bethel um, gives a very painful quote and he says, I could see the size of a man by the size of his problem. And when I heard that I went, ouch. I could see the size of a man in, in, in his faith by the size of his problem. And I thought, wow, where are we sometimes when something hits us? What is our first reaction? God, where are you? What's going on? Whoa, that must be Satan. I don't know. Ah, uh, I, I, I don't know what to do. Or is our first reaction to say, don't worry. <laughs> My God's bigger. He's got this covered. Amen, right? The problem is that when our brain kicks in, the Holy Spirit is forced out. Joyce Myers says a large percentage of God's people are admittedly confused. Why? Reasoning. The dictionary defines the word reason in the noun form as an underlying fact or motive that provides logical sense for a premise or occurrence. She goes on to say a simple way to say it is reasoning occurs when a person tries to figure out the why behind something. Reasoning causes the mind to revolve around and around and around and around and around a situation or issue or event attempting to understand all its intricate components. I think that Satan wants to steal our joy when something happens and we can't look up. We only look down at the situation and we roll, okay, so how did I get here? Did I do something wrong? Okay, if I had have done that, maybe I wouldn't have got here. Or how am I going to get out of here? What's going on? Why am I here? Did I, what's going on? And we revolve, and every night, because I'm not the only one, you've woken up probably in the middle of the night going, here's the situation. How did this happen? How did this happen? Why? Why, God? I want to know why, and I want to know how. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to get us stuck, and he wants us to turn our brains on so that the spirit or our reasoning brain on so that the spirit is sucked out because we can't listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to tell us about it. 
1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 says, this is the message version and I love it. The unspiritual self, just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem so much like silliness. Spirit can be known only by spirit. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion, spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Isaiah's question, is there anyone around who knows God's spirit, anyone who knows what he's doing, has already been answered. Christ knows, and we have Christ's spirit. Amen. Amen. You know what that means? That when we try to figure it all out, we are actually taking ourselves away from finding contentment, joy, peace, and that covering from the Holy Spirit. Well, we don't have to figure it all out. We just need Christ and Christ crucified. Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all of your heart and mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. So Paul, he didn't try to figure out why he was in jail. He just knew, haha, there's a bigger picture to this. I know that God's in control. And, and God allowed his eyes to open and say, don't look at your misery. Don't, let, don't look at the sores that are on your wrists from the chains. Don't look at the sores that are on your, on your feet from the chains. Don't look at your dehydration because they don't give you water to drink. Open your eyes. Look at the spiritual element of everything that's going on around you. Look at, look at what's going on with the palace guards. They see you. They hear your songs. They hear your worship. They see you. And they are beginning to see who Christ is in you. You. That's the testimony, and that's finding joy. So um, sometimes we turn brains on and we start to reason. Another thing that we do is sometimes we just start to wonder. So can you imagine Paul? And and maybe he he wouldn't be sitting there going, I don't I don't know why this is happening. He's like, No, this is awesome. Look at how many people are getting saved. I wonder how I'm going to get out of here. Hmm. Do you think uh, that somebody is going to pay my dues for me? I can get out. I, I have. What if I'm not going to get out of here? I wonder if I'm going to die in here. We didn't see him do that either. But I think that's another place where we get stuck. God, I, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, I wonder what my kids' grades are going to be at school. I can't seem to get them to read at night. I, I wonder if it's going to rain tomorrow. We've got a big, huge pl uh, party planned. I wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like. Or, I just got sick. Am I going to get better? And I, I wonder if I'm going to die. I, I wonder if my spouse is going to be okay. I wonder if I'm ever going to find a job. Am I ever going to get married? I wonder if we're going to stay married doesn't look very good right now. I wonder. I wonder what's going on. And we get stuck. And then like the Israelites, we just circle. And we circle and we circle. And we never get out. Because we can't get out of here. And so how do we get out of here? We say, God, you're sovereign. And you're in control. And he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And do you know what happens when we don't? We question the character and the, and the goodness of God. 
And when we do that, that actually leads us into unbelief. And unbelief is sin. And I don't believe that God is able to work on your behalf when we are in unbelief to say, God, I don't think you can do it. God's hands are tied. It's better to put our trust in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, and that the, par- the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. That one has been on my walls in my office for like 15 years now, because that is the hope that I have. That the prayers of the righteous have not anything that I have done, but because God has made me righteous because of the blood of Jesus, the prayers of the righteous are powerful and they are effective. So you may feel like your prayers are hitting the walls or hitting the ceiling, but God has heard them. And he is coming and he is rescuing. So if I worry about it, it only steals my joy and I'm miserable. But if I pray about it, I can stay in faith that God will make it work out for everyone's good regardless of what happens. And that's what joy is. Regardless of the outcome, that's what real joy is. Regardless of the outcome, I trust that he who began a good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Lacking nothing because God is in control and he is good. So what's our Heavenly Father promise us? John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But you came, Lord, that I might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Abundant life, no matter what the circumstances are. So the first part was if we can get and understand that God is sovereign, We are going to be able to look at every situation. And we have a second. We literally have a split second to make a decision. Something happens. Am I in faith or am I in fear? Do you know that sometimes the most faith-filled people in the whole world are people who fear the most? They just have their faith in the wrong thing. They have their faith in something is going to happen bad. If you can get a glimpse and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and you can look into Jesus' eyes and you can spend time with him and allow him to transform your thoughts and transform your mind by the word of God, then we can transform that huge amount of faith that you have in the wrong thing and you can become the most powerful weapon that the enemy is afraid of because you put all of that faith into the right thing and watch out Satan, right? And the prayers of 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 the righteous are powerful and effective. So first we need to understand the sovereignty of God but second we need to understand and this is my favorite the sweetness of Christ. Because what happens in the middle of everything when you're like, God's got this all worked out. Don't worry. I'm sitting in a jail cell. It's okay. Yes. Like, don't worry about all these scars on my legs. It's okay. I'm sure they'll heal one day because he who began a good work in me five years later, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20 years later, he's going to work it all out. What do you do in the waiting? Understand the sovereignty of God, but 
dig into the sweetness of Christ. Philippians 3, 8 says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing in this world matters when you get a glimpse and you get into God's presence because there is a sweetness that comes and that's where the fruits of the Spirit come. That regardless of the situation, I have love. I got joy abounding in me. I've got peace that doesn't even make sense. I have got long suffering because my golly, this has taken a long time. I have got a gentle heart because I am not getting angry and ripping everybody's face off because I am so frustrated. I got gentleness in me and it's all good. That's what the fruit of the Spirit does is there's a sweetness that you get into God's presence and you know that there is absolutely no bigger form or more pure form of worship than when we believe that God is who he says he is. Because that kind of faith, it just catches God's attention. He's like, whoa, that person, like they're sitting in jail and, and they had that split second and their first reaction was to not fear. Their first reaction was to believe that I am who I say I am. And their first reaction was, was to worship me and to praise me. I am so there. And God, he comes in to that situation and he brings his presence. And that person goes, whoa, I don't even understand why I feel so good about this, but, but these chains actually feel really good right now. And feels like I got like fur on them or something. And your whole situation changes because God opens your eyes because you invited God's presence in, because that's worship. Because worship is no matter what the circumstances, he fills my lungs with his breath. So I've got God living in me and it's going to come out of me or the rocks are going to cry out. Amen. Psalms 34 in closing. If it's on the bottom of your sheets if you want to read with me. I will. I choose to. I make a, a, a solid decision today. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Thank you, God, for the fruits of the Spirit, because that is not natural. But when I ask you to come into my situation, there is a joy in, my, in me that doesn't make sense, and I will rejoice because I'm in your presence. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. No matter what the enemy tries to bring at you, no matter what lies the enemy is trying to speak to you that cause you to hide or cause you to think, I don't know why this is going on and everybody's going to be staring at me, looking at my situation and thinking that I'm a weakling. God says, you get into his presence and you will never be in shame. He fights your battles for you. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. 
The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from telling lies, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close. Can you say close? Read this line, the next two lines with me. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And that is the sweetness of Christ. That in brokenness and in sorrow, in jail, in every single situation, he is closest. And his presence, he wants to be with you where you are. And he gives you every fruit of the Spirit. It's his promise. And so I just wonder how many people here, you know, I feel like we already prayed for this, but one more time. Just everybody close your eyes. If that's you where you just feel like maybe there's been a heaviness on you or depression or anxiety, or you feel like when we did that first stress test and Maybe you actually recognized, whoa, maybe that's where some of my anger has come from. Maybe that's where some of my, I've just been miserable. It, I, I, I look at that list and, and man, I've, I've went through a lot in the last two years and I don't know what to do with this. If any of those things are you, just, just raise your hand and I just want to pray for you right now. And if you will... Is it okay if I ask people just to gather around you and lay hands on you? We're just going to, I just believe that when two or three are gathered in his midst, that he's here. And we're just going to pray a shifting. So if, if you're bold enough to keep your hand up, and if not, I see your hand and I'm going to keep praying for you. But if you, if you feel led to, to lay hands on some people who have their hands lifted, we're just going to pray that God would just shift that for them right now. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Father, we just thank you that you are sovereign. Father, we thank you that you are in control. Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you see every person, every heart, every circumstance in this place in the name of Jesus. Uh, Father, I just pray that just a release of the presence of God would fill them right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I just release a shifting in their atmosphere in the name of Jesus that they would go from... from 
weakness to strength, that they would go from doubt to belief, that they would, they would go from, from shackles on their eyes to open eyes to see what you are doing. Father, I pray that reasoning and wonder would, would uh, be bound in the name of Jesus, Father, and I pray, God, a release of, of, of letting go of all thoughts that our brains would get us stuck in, and I just command those chains around their minds to be broken in Jesus' name, and I just release, Father, just belief in, in Jesus' name, faith, the size of the mustard seed, to rise up and increase in them in the name of Jesus. I pray that their eyes would see everything that you are doing around them, Father. And Father, in the, in the midst of the situation that doesn't seem to make sense, I pray that they would be able to say that no matter what makes sense, no matter what changes, if nothing changes at all, God, I choose to worship you and I believe that you are in my midst and I am feeling your presence. So God, I pray, Father, that the presence of God would come into them and come on them in such an overwhelming way Father, that they would leave from this place with a lightness, and Father, that something would have shifted completely in the name of Jesus. I pray for eyes of faith to see what you're doing, God. And a declaration that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And we worship and we declare that we serve a faithful God in Jesus' name. And we bless you, God, because you are faithful. We thank you, God, that you have not forgotten us. We thank you, Jesus, that you see everything. But God, you are good. And we declare it in the name of Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.